Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Perception Part 2 by Stu Miller. Uh, This is my church. Um, I preach in a lot of other churches and around the world, but um, yeah, I don't preach here very often, do I? In fact, it was 11 months ago the last time I preached, and um, I preached half a message. And I promised you that I'd come back and preach the other half. And you will remember it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's on, you know. <laughs> so I'm thinking, how do I do this when it's been 11 months ago? <laughs> but I'm going to do a bit of a recap this morning on um, what we covered 11 months ago. It is on YouTube, so you can actually go and see it. So I actually went there this morning to see what I preached on um, and covered. And uh, so I knew where I could pick up. So I'm going to do a bit of a, an overview, and then we're going to go into the last part of it in a bit more detail. But let me just pray, and uh, then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity of, of getting into your word. Thank you for the opportunity of uh, looking at things how you see them. And Lord, we always need to go back to your word to see how you uh, see our lives, our world, our universe. And Lord, we want to align our thoughts with your thoughts. Your, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. But Lord, we want to bring ourselves into line with the way that you think. Lord, our desire is that, that we would be vessels to be used by you to, in your great rescue plan for this world. And Father, I pray that uh, this morning would be a great encouragement uh, to each and every one of us to be able to communicate the hope and the beautiful message of Jesus with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those who don't know me, I run a ministry called Train to Proclaim. So like the name suggests, we've trained people how to proclaim the gospel message. We know that Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, you know that message of the gospel isn't just any message about God. Someone sneezes, God bless you. Yep, just preach the gospel again. All right, it's a specific message that Jesus commanded us to preach. And so as Christians, we need to know, well, what is that message? What are the key ingredients of that message? And then how can I communicate that in a way that non-church people will, will understand without using any jargon, without any Christianese, right? So that they, they will get it and understand it. And so that's a challenge for us as Christians to know, well, how do you create those opportunities? When you do have an opportunity, what do you say? And how do you say it in a way that will connect and communicate effectively? So that's what we're all about. We're about training people how to proclaim the gospel message. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not sure that I know exactly what the gospel is, or I don't know exactly how to communicate that in a way. And I struggle. You know, I've had a few opportunities, but I've got all tongue-tied, and I didn't really know. And afterwards, I thought, why did I say that? Or why didn't I say this? Anyone relating with what I'm saying? (laughs) If that's you, and you want to be more effective in sharing the gospel, there's some good news for you. Because this Thursday night, we're starting a Zoom course on how to share the gospel. It's seven weeks, which seems like a long period of time, but it's actually it's comprehensive. So you're learning the theology of what the gospel is and how to communicate it. You're learning how to deal with difficult situations and people, the keys to evangelism. You're covering a lot of stuff. We, we see a lot of um, footage, video footage of actual sharing with the gospel, real people, nothing staged, real reactions, uh, and you have discussion on the Zoom. It's a, actually a really, really good time. I've just run two of them. Uh, last one, I had uh, 50 people register from all around Australia, Western Australia, uh, Victoria, a lot of people from Victoria. They've got a bit of time at the moment, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, so it was great. So this one I'm running really specifically for The Rock because I'd love you to join in, but there is interest from other 
places around the country and also from overseas. I've had interest from over other people from other countries as well. So I'd love you to join us on Thursday nights. If you are part of Mark Patch's home group, don't join me on Thursday night because they're actually starting the course next Wednesday. You're very special if you're part of Mark Patch's home group. You're going to uh, do the seven-week course as a part of the home group. It won't be starting this Wednesday because we've got the combined uh, church meeting, of course. So more than ever... The gospel is so important to get out into the world, isn't it? At this time of uncertainty, and, and the word that Maria brought this morning, you know, so many people are experiencing that, that uncertainty and that, that um, fear that, you know, of what's happening in the world. You look, look at all the craziness that's... This, world is, this year, uh, out of any year of my life, has been the most crazy. Wouldn't, probably a lot of you would say the same thing. It's just, you wouldn't... If you told me... You know, and back in March that, you know, people were going to be rioting around the world and looting and then the authorities weren't going to prosecute you. And then the, the authorities were actually going to start talking about defunding police. I'd be going, what are you smoking? You know what I mean? Like, I'd be going, that, that's just chaos. That, what, what are you talking about? If you told me that, you know, within a month of us getting back from New Zealand, we were in, in New Zealand for three months ministering over there, as we normally do over the summer, it won't be happening this year, um, right? <laughs> but... If you, when we came back on the 2nd of March, if you said within a month, the government's going to be telling you how many people you can have at your place, when you can go out, for what reason, and they're going to shut down your church, I would have went, what are you smoking? Seriously? I, I, I wouldn't have believed it. You know, like this, world, this year has been crazy. There's so much uncertainty, so much going on. And you know what? It, more than ever, we need to get the hope of Jesus Christ the good news of Jesus out into the world. And uh, so I really want to encourage you this morning that uh, uh, we, w- we need to get this message to the world. So if you don't know how to communicate the gospel, we're going to be learning an app called G7. And you actually got a card when you came in uh, that talked about that. I'll talk a little bit about that later on, but it's, uh, that's the tool that we're going to be learning. It's a great way of communicating the gospel. Is this ticket uh, going to work, Steve? There we go. So the sermon, for those of you, you all remembered this, wasn't it? It was about perception. And I started off with a joke, and I wasn't going to tell the joke I, just because of the sake of time, but my children insisted I told it again. So if you remember it, just laugh along at the punchline again and pretend that you've never heard it, all right? Okay, so there's a couple of prawns, Derek and Christian. They're flittering around in their coral reef, and they have to flitter around and jump under the coral because everything wants to eat them, Like right? You're the bottom of the food chain if you're a prawn, right? And so they... They, they, they were talking one day, they're great friends, these two, and they, they, they were talking, they said, look, wouldn't it be awesome if we were like a, a fish or like a barracuda, like a mean fish or a shark? You know, we could rule the reef, you know, it'd be awesome. And uh, I'm trying to do an abridged version of this, so, so, but I get carried away with, with stories. I'm an evangelist. It's always evangelistic jokes, isn't it? Anyway, um, anyway so uh, they, they were talking. Anyway, they see this strange cod. And it's glowing and flashing, and they're thinking, what the heck? And they start tentatively going a little bit nearer. And the cod turns around and says, hello, Derek. Hello, Christian. And I'm thinking, how does this cod know our names? And he says, I'm going to give you one wish. You can wish for anything you want. Now, Christian freaks out and takes off. But Derek thinks, this is my opportunity. He says, I wish I was a shark. And poof, he turns into a shark. He's thinking, this is awesome. Starts cruising around the reef. Everything starts rushing away from him, scared of him. He's like, swims and he goes, oh my goodness, this is power. He's got so much speed. He's thinking, this. I'm, I'm elaborating again, aren't I? I'm trying to bridge it. Okay, so anyway, he thinks this is awesome. But a, a couple of days later, he's getting really lonely because no one talks to him. 
no one will go near him. He is king of the reef and he swims to other reefs. Like he, he can, not just his reef, he can go to other reefs. He's king over many reefs. He's like, this is great. But then he gets really, really lonely after about a week and he goes, man, I haven't had a conversation with anyone and I, and I really miss my friend Christian. I'm going to go and visit him. So he goes back to his reef, goes down to the prawn palace, knocks on the door, says, um, Christian, Christian, it's Derek. And Christian goes, go away. You're not Derek. You're a shark. He goes, no, 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 it's your friend Derek. And he goes, no, my friend Derek's a prawn. You're a shark. You'll eat me. And he couldn't convince him that it was actually him. So he goes away and he's really, really sad. And a week later, he's getting pretty depressed. You know, he's got his little shark tail down. By the way, it's Charlotte's birthday today. Does anyone know that? Happy birthday, Charlotte. I meant to say at the beginning, happy birthday. Halfway through a joke, you get a mention about your birthday. There we go. Otherwise, I would have forgotten. <laughs> so when it came to mind, I had to say it. Uh, anyway, so, so he's really depressed, but, and, and he sees the, this flashing, glowing cod again, and he races over to it, hoping that it will get another wish. And he turns around and says, Derek, you have one wish. And he says, I wish I was a prawn. Poof! He turns back into a prawn. He's so excited because now he can go and have a conversation. He, he can go and see his friend Christian, right? And so he rushes back to the prawn palace and a barracuda eats him on the way. No, 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 I'm kidding. Um, he goes back to the prawn palace and he's knocking on the door and he says, Christian, 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 that's Derek. And he goes, go away. You're not Derek, you're a shark. And he says, no, I found cod. I'm a prawn again, Christian. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, hear the groans. <laughs> the thing about that joke, though, and the reason I tell it at the beginning of a perception sermon is that, you know, if Derek actually, if um, Christian actually trusted that this was actually Derek, but he had a perception of this massive big shark, and he thought, this is not my friend. He doesn't look anything like a prawn, right? And he thought, if he had actually believed him and put his trust in his friend, he could have come out. They could have cruised around the reef together, had their friendship like they always did, but had control and ruled the, the reef. It could have been awesome. But because of his perception, it stopped the friendship. It cut off the friendship and it stopped that opportunity. And perceptions can stop opportunities. And I sort of think in this day and age when people are looking for hope, we've got the greatest message of all time, the gospel. The goodness of Jesus. Why are people not flocking into our church this morning? I mean, we've got a great number here, which is awesome. But why is this not becoming the new toilet block for the new auditorium we have to build next door when we buy up the next two properties? Because we need a massive, you know, in the stoplights outside of Hook Street because of the church traffic, right? Why is churches not just growing massively? Because we've got this incredible message. I mean, billions of dollars every year is spent on medical research into cancer and uh, a number of different you know, diseases and things to try and solve problems so that we can live longer. You know, people would pay, you know, my mum my passed away just over a year ago, right? I've, I've, uh, she had cancer and our family would have given anything for a cure to, uh, for cancer, right? Imagine how much money you would pay for a cure for cancer if you had cancer. Now, it'll only give, my mum was 74 when she passed away, but it would go to given her another 5, 10, 15 years of life, Right? And we would have given anything for that. But do you know what? The gospel message that we are offering isn't offering another 10, 15, or even 20 years of life. It's not offering 100 years of life or even 1,000 years of life. Jesus is offering eternal life. 
There is nothing better than this. There is nothing on this planet, you know, it doesn't matter how many billions of dollars you throw at it, nothing will compare with what Jesus is offering us. It's incredible. Why are we not having people lining up? If we had a cure for cancer, we'd have a line of traffic, wouldn't we? What's stopping us? Maybe it's people's perception of the church, of Christianity, that's stopping them from hearing about the gospel. Perception is really important. If you're into into, uh, art, drawing, or photography, um, is this click actually going to work? There we go. Photography. Perception is a very, very important thing, isn't it? But it's incredibly important for a lot of things, like companies. If you're a company, perception is important. Your brand is important. Who can tell me what this is? Nike. Now, I haven't put the name up there until now. Thank you, Steve. Um, Right? But with just seeing that tick, you knew it was Nike. Why? How did you know it was Nike? I didn't put the name up. Because I've advertised and everybody knows the brand. Now, there's something else you know. When you think of Nike, you think of the slogan, just do it. There we go. I think Steve might as well just take over these, these things because this doesn't seem to be working too well. Right? Just do it. Now, again, I didn't need to tell you just do it. You knew that because it's been advertised. Now, none of you would have seen an ad about the quality, the duration, uh, you know, the, 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 the quality of the build of a shoe, a Nike shoe or sportswear or Nike bags or hats. None of these things they advertise. How do you know that a Nike shoe is any better than any other shoe or made with better materials or you don't? They haven't talked anything about that. All they do is advertise their brand. When you see the adverts on TV, you know, it's really, really good video photography. You've got the close-up of the sweat dripping off someone and then you see the pounding of feet on the pavement and, and there's this amazing cinematic music and then this really well-scripted, poetic, you know, script. And you're thinking, what the heck is this ad about? And then just at the end, it goes, Nike, just do it. And you go, I feel inspired. I want to go for a run. <laughs> Where's my Nikes? You know, like, but when you go into a shop... You haven't been sold that their shoes are any better than anyone else, but you just go, oh, that's Nike. I've got to buy it now. Oh, it's double the price of anything else (laughs) to pay for the advertising. But you still buy it because it's Nike. It might be just as bad as any other shoe or just as good as any other shoe, but we, we don't know because they haven't advertised a product. They've advertised a brand. Now, we've got the best product in the world is the gospel. We're offering eternal life, forgiveness of sins, transformation of our lives, right? Setting, being set free through Jesus Christ. It's amazing. We've got an amazing product. But you know what? Some people were put off the product because of the brand. I think it's our brand advertising that's the problem. What are the perceptions that people have of the church and what can we do to change it? Now, it would be great if we could do nationwide advertisements that we spend millions of dollars on, you know, getting made. So they're just the same quality as as Nike and start to break down some of the misconceptions that people have about Christianity. Wouldn't that be awesome if the churches collectively, you know, put money in? We could do that, couldn't we? No. Why? We're fragmented. You could do it as a denomination, but not collectively as the body of Christ for Christianity because everyone would want their name on it. Probably the only church in the country that could do it is Hillsong. 
because I've got the, the finances to be able to do it. But do you think that they're going to do it for the Christian church? Or do you think that, that the Hillsong logo is going to be on there? <laughs> do you know what I mean? We're all fragmented. And it's like it's time the church just goes, we are the church. We've got to do something about this. But if you were to ask a company what is the best form of advertising, it's actually not nationwide ads anyway. What, what would every business say? Tony, what would every business say is the best form of advertising? That's exactly right. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising. And you know what? Jesus knew that because what did he do to us? He said, you as my people, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and tell the message. Word of mouth is supposed to be our strong point, right? <laughs> True? But how often are we actually going and sharing the gospel with other people? How often are we recommending our great product of Jesus? Once a week, well, that would be awesome. If we did, all did this once a week, it would be amazing. But if you're not, maybe because you don't know how, Thursday night Zoom. We'll get some, we can um, email out some Zoom details, hopefully, through the, through the church email. If you're not on the church email, get in touch with Karen, but we'll, I'll, I'll send them to Karen so she can send out the Zoom details for anyone who wants to join in. All right? Cool. All right. Next one. I'll just go like that, Steve, and you can move it on. So perception is key, isn't it? All right. So how are we being viewed by the world? Now, the first question that we've got to ask is, is, should we care what the world thinks? It's probably a yes and a no answer there, isn't it? In one sense, we're going to say, you know what? We're going to serve Jesus regardless of what the world thinks of us. We're not going to lower our standards, so we're going to be accepted by the world. But on the other hand, we go, if this is a barrier, the wrong perceptions of the church, we want to change those perceptions and change our brand so, you know, so that people can actually not change our brand, but, you know, actually give a realistic view of our brand so people understand what true Christianity is all about so that it's not a barrier for someone coming to faith. Okay, so we're going to have a look today about how we're viewed, from the world, how we're viewed by the world, why we're viewed this way, because sometimes it's our fault and we've got to put our hand up and say, yep, we're actually, we've created this impression. <laughs> and sometimes it's just that uh, we've got a very biased media and uh, a lot of institutions in our society that are actually biased against Christianity and are spreading lies about us, and we've got to actually break down some of those lies and bring the truth. So, next one. Uh, Acts 20, 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace or the good news of God's grace. Now, this is Paul writing this. He's saying he considers his life worth nothing to him if he doesn't accomplish this task. He knows the power of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. He knows we've got to get this message out because Jesus' last words were to go into the world and, and preach the gospel. He knows how critical this is, right, the gospel. And that's why he's saying that his life effectively would be a waste of time if he didn't do this. This is a critical thing for us to do. And so this, it's also critical that in our conversations with people in the world, We've got to seek out and find what are the barriers in stopping them coming to know Christ. Because it may be that they've been hurt, maybe that they've got a wrong perception, and they're not actually open to hearing the gospel until we can break down some of those. So we're going to talk about those today. Hope It's going to be a bit of a crash course because we've got to get through 12 of these uh, before at 1 o'clock we finish, isn't it, Terry? Is that right? Uh, before 1 p.m., we've got to get through all these. <laughs> 
All right. And uh, so I'm going to just, if you want to get a bit more detail on the first four, go to the YouTube clip because I go into detail, but I'm just going to have to race through. It's going to be a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant this morning. All right. We're just going to race through them one by one. Okay. So we'll do our best. Okay. Next slide. Um, by the way, if you want to do something, I've, I've got a mission for you. Did everyone get one of these cards when they came in, an AnswersAboutLife.com card, right? Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to give that card out to somebody this week that's not a church person. Might be when you're buying your gas or your groceries or something. Just you meet someone in the course of your life, uh, might be a neighbour, anyone. Give them one of those cards because it's got a seven-minute gospel presentation on video on the front page of that site, and it answers a whole lot of questions like, how do you know God's there? What about all the suffering in the world? What about the different religions, etc.? So questions that people have got that may be barriers to people coming to faith. Okay, the G7 app, as I told you, that there's, um, some of you would have got a card there this morning as well on that, and uh, you can either go to our website, just go to the next page, um, and click on your device, or you can just go to your app store and type in G7, and you'll see that icon come up, the G7 app. Download it onto your phone, and if you're interested in learning how to do this, this app and going through an evangelism course, I'll see you on Thursday. Right, next one. That's the last promotion, maybe until the end. Right, first common misconception. This one is you think you're holier than thou. Anyone heard this one before? Yeah. So people say, you know, why is the world thinking that you're holier than thou? Or we're saying that we're holier than thou. Do we say we're holier than thou? No, but they get that perception. Why? Because we stand up for righteousness in society. And when a standard is, you know, we want to stand up for God's standards, unfortunately, as soon as you stand up for righteousness, people go, oh, you're holier than thou. You think you're better than us. Well, what do you want us to do? Lower our standards? Sometimes you can't avoid these perceptions. But I think in our interactions with people, we should be going out of our way to point out the fact that we're sinners. Let's go to the next slide. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're just one beggar showing another beggar where to get food. We're not anything great. We haven't saved ourselves. It's only because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us that he, has punished, he was punished in our place. He's made a way possible for us to make it into heaven. It's not, I haven't saved myself. I'm not great. I'm a sinner. The reason that we are Christians is because we realize we're sinners and we need Jesus. It's actually the complete opposite. We don't think we're great and holier than thou. We think we're sinners, therefore in need of Jesus. If anyone thinks they're holier than thou, it's people who don't go to church because they go, I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. I'm a good person. It's actually the complete opposite, yet we're tarred with that brush. Does that make sense? Okay, next, next uh, thing. Are we more holy than others? It's an interesting question. Well, hopefully we are because Jesus is changing our lives day by day. But we don't say we're holier than thou. <laughs> Jesus should be changing our lives. We should be reflecting that in our lives. But we should be, in our talk, we should be saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I've, I don't deserve this. But through Jesus, he's the one that's forgiven me. Okay, next one. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're in a process, aren't we, of being made holy? Next one. Uh, and in Corinthians, it talks about how we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us uh, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we're supposed to be encouraging people to be reconciled to God. And as his ambassadors, we have a responsibility to live a life that's good before the community. None of us are perfect, and we're going to fail. And that's why we need to say that we're sinners 
But at the same time, we should do our best to live a life that's you know, pleasing to the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. All right, the next one. The church is full of hypocrites. Who said this? What's a hypocrite? Hypocrite is someone whose actions don't always line up with their words. Does anyone here, put up your hand if your actions always line up with your words. No one. You're all hypocrites. And me too. I ask people that when they say, oh, the church is full of hypocrites. I say, do your actions always line up with your words? No. Then you're a hypocrite too. You should come along and join us. We need some more hypocrites in the church. (laughs) There's always room for one more. But that's the reality of it, isn't it? We try our best to live for Christ, but we will fail because we're sinners, right? And that's not a justification, but that's a reality. So next, the scripture here. We go through a scripture for each of these. Uh, Romans 14, 11 and 12, for it's written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves before God. Do you know what? If we are living a hypocritical life, and Jesus was hardest on the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their time, and called them hypocrites, right? So we need to make sure that our lives aren't hypocritical, that we're humble and authentic and vulnerable about the fact that we are sinners, not lording ourselves above others, right? And the fact that we should be living, we shouldn't be ripping people off and shouldn't be sinning. We should be changing to become more like Jesus day by day. All right, next one. Christians hate gays. Now, I spent a lot of time on this last time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one today, but it is absolutely not true at all. God loves everyone in the world. Jesus didn't die for heterosexuals, right? He didn't decide to die for a particular segment of any, any segment of society. God loves everyone. And that's very, very clear. And there's a great lie in the world that says, you have to agree with me and agree with my lifestyle Otherwise, you hate me. Isn't that true? That is the lie that's out there. And so as Christians, if we have a standard and we say, we believe that practicing homosexuality is a sin, then we instantly you know, are a bigot, a homophobe. We are haters and we're labeled with all these labels and it is not true. Because I don't even agree with my own wife's lifestyle. Does that mean I hate her? None, no two of us would have exactly the same lifestyle or exactly the same beliefs about every single thing, right? But we still love each other. Love is not dependent on agreeance. Thank goodness, right? But the lie in our society is you have to agree with me and celebrate my lifestyle, otherwise you are a bigot and you hate me. Not true. And we've got to break down that lie in our society. We've got to do um, how do we know this? John 3.16. You probably haven't heard that scripture before. It's a bit of an abstract one. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves every single person on this planet. Does that mean that he, he, he loves what we do? No, we're all sinners. But he loves us regardless. Praise God that God isn't like that. He says, you know, do everything I want, otherwise I don't love you. He loves us despite what we do. Next scripture. This is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible, uh, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that scripture because God isn't just saying, I love you. He demonstrates to us his love by sending Jesus to come and die on the cross for us. 
making that way possible that if we put our trust in him, if we surrender our lives to him, he promises us forgiveness and eternal life. So while we were still sinners, while we were rejecting God, walking away from the very one who gave us life and breath, he still loved us and sent Jesus to die for us. Now, we might go to war and die for our nation or you know, I might intervene if someone were trying to attack my wife or family and I might get killed. And the Bible says greater love is any, any man than to lay down his life for his friend, right? But Jesus is not just laying his life down for his friends. He's demonstrating his love by saying, even while you were enemies, while you were away from me, while you were sinners, while you were rejecting me, I'm still going to lay my life down for you. That's true love, isn't it? God loves every single person on this planet. Okay, next one. We haven't covered this one, so we're going to spend a little bit more time, but we've still got to race through. We're racist and sexist. Now, some of you might be going, is this a perception the world has? Yes, it is. They do have this perception. Let's go to the next slide. Let's see what the Bible says. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. We are all made in the image of God. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is no one above another. Your skin color or your gender doesn't put you above another person. We are all equal, and that's what the Bible teaches. Now, why is it that we have this ethic in our society that we shouldn't be racist? Because normally, prior to Christianity coming and preaching the gospel and, and Christians being, uh, societies being bounded on Christian principles, were tribes racist and sexist? Yes, they were all killing other tribes and often eating them. And then they were also, the women were always sub, subdued. Why? Because men are physically, biologically stronger. And so they would, they would go, right, you know, and the men always ruled. Women had no say. Why do we have women having a say today? Because of Christianity. Because Christians came and they preached the gospel. People became Christians and realized that God loves everyone. We're all made in his image and we're all equal. And that men are not above women, nor is one race above another. The irony is the same people today who are advocating you know, against racism and sexism accusing Christians of being racist when Christianity is the very reason that they hold those ethics. They never would had Christianity not come. You look around the world and the nations of the world that haven't been founded on Christian principles. Look at Islamic nations. Does a woman get a fair go there? <laughs> Their court uh, testimony is worth half of a man. 50% of a man's testimony, right? I could go into a whole lot of things with that, but I'll stop there, right? But you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. You go into most nations of the world that are not founded on Christian principles and you don't have equality of race or sex. Okay. Anyone know who this lady is? Kate Shepherd. Anyone know who Kate Shepherd is? She's a Kiwi lady. New Zealander. She campaigned with politicians to change the vote in New Zealand for universal suffrage. In other words, everyone has the right to a vote. Because women didn't have a right to a vote prior to 1893. In 1893, they brought through a law in New Zealand. It was the first in the world, by the way. So we're only, we're only talking you know, just over 100 years ago. 
we sort of had this thing in our society that, yeah, women have, have the right to vote. You know, that's, that's most of history, women never had any rights. And it's a lady like, a Christian lady like Kate Shepherd who went, this is wrong. We're all made in the image of God. God loves all of us. We're all equal under God. Why do men get the vote and not us? And she fought for it and changed. And then the irony is we, could, we call sexist today. What about this man here? You know who he is? William Wilberforce. Okay. He spent 20 years in Parliament fighting against the slave trade. Uh, and in 1803, he bought a, a bill that got passed in, in uh, law in, in the UK that banned slave trading. 1803. Prior to that, it was legal to own someone. He, why? He's a Christian and he says, nobody should own someone else because we're not animals. We're all human beings and it doesn't matter what colour your skin is. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And it was because of Christians like Wilberforce and Newton and others in this time that fought against this that we had the law changed. Now, People still owned slaves at the time. It wasn't until uh, 1833 that another law changed that banned slaves completely. But at least the slave trade was banned, and it was his work that pioneered that to come. Three days later, actually, ironically, he died. He passed away after that 1933 law was passed. But that would have been a joy for him to see that come, place, uh, come to place. Now, why do we have a perception that Christians are racist and sexist? Do you know who this guy is? Jonathan Isaac, NBA star. There's a massive pressure in the sports world to bow the knee to Black Lives Matter. See them all wearing the Chiefs T-shirts, all his teammates? He refused to wear the T-shirt. And there's also this thing about taking a knee when the national anthem's going because you, you disagree with the national anthem. Now, the national anthem is... Uh, that wasn't me going to the next slide. That was just me waving my hand around, Steve. Uh, there's massive... you know, but. He's going, you know what, I like our national anthem. I love our country. I love the fact that the national anthem is about God blessing our land. I'm not going to take a knee and disagree with that. And I'm not going to kneel to anyone apart from Jesus. And I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter uh, philosophy because they're self-proclaimed Marxists. They're very strong proponents of abortion and the LGBTQI plus rights and that sort of thing. So why would a Christian bow the knee? And here's a guy standing up. But do you know what? He gets called racist because he does that. What colours his skin? <laughs> We've got our own local legend, of course. That was me, by the way. Which is Israel Folau. Now, the same thing happened. See the Black Lives Matter in the background? Everyone on the field bowed the knee except Israel Folau. Now, I say... Thank you to those guys who are making a stand and keeping to what they believe in. But unfortunately, as far as the world goes, they go, you Christians, you're racist. Again, what colour is he? It makes no sense, but logic doesn't mean anything to some people. You know what I mean? It doesn't. You know, if you're a Christian, then somehow... We're racist, sexist, transphobic, homophobic, xenophobic. You know, we get called all these names and we are the ones that actually, through Christian foundations, brought in equality of the sexes, equality of the race to begin with. This is crazy. But we've got to start telling our history. 
We've got to start talking about what the Bible says so people understand the Christian position and they don't misunderstand us. Does it make sense? Is this helpful? Great. Next one. All right. Number five, anti-woman's rights. I'm really going to have to rock through now, aren't we? Um, Now, why are we viewed as anti-woman's rights? Well, it's because of a stance on abortion. We don't believe in killing babies. So they... The world says, you guys are, you know, you're anti-woman's rights. It's the woman's right to do what she wants with her body. And it is with her body, just not the other body that's living inside of her, right? Two bodies here, right? And so we're saying we're standing for the rights. Now, they're saying, oh, you're sexist. You know, you don't believe in women's rights. So, well, 50% of babies are female. We're not sexist. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. We're standing for the rights of babies to live, Right? And why, let's have a look at what the Bible says about this. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Hey? God has knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knows you and I intimately. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He loves us from the moment we're conceived. And so when we campaign, and you know what? The Christians that are campaigning and are being banned outside of, of, of uh, abortion centres because of their hateful speech and whatever, they are loving people who have got charities organised to help and they're offering help to women who are in desperate distress and saying, we will help you. What do you need? They're offering help and now they're being banned and can't go near. You can't even quietly pray outside an abortion clinic now. You can't stand there and pray because of laws. But again, this, it's our percept, the perception of the world is you are anti-woman's rights. No, we're not. It's, we're anti-anyone's right to kill another human being, right? We're actually pro-life. That's what it's about. And so that, that makes a big difference. And you know what? The Christian message is all about forgiveness, it doesn't matter what's happened. I mean, you know, if, if someone has had an abortion, does that mean we write them off? Absolutely not. The whole message is of love and forgiveness, and God can forgive us and give us a new life. He can heal us. He can give us a new start. It's a beautiful message of hope and love, not hate and judgment. Amen? Amen. And uh, whenever someone says, you're so judgmental, I say, well, that's pretty judgmental judging me like that. It's true though, isn't it? Okay, we hate each other. Here's another one. There's so many different denominations. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but you know what? Let's just go to the scripture. Uh, Romans 14 verse 5 says, One person considers one day sacred and another considers every day alike. Let each of them be fully convinced in his own mind. Romans 14 is great. It talks about you know, how some Christians were, were eating food that was offered to idols and were okay with it and other people weren't. And, you know, there were, and some people were worshipping on the, on the Sabbath on the Saturday and some were, were worshipping on the Sunday because you know, Jesus rose from the dead. And he's saying, well, you know what? There's differences of opinion in the church. It's not fundamental. It's not about whether Jesus died on the cross or not. You know what I mean? There will be differences, and that's okay because each of us will stand before God and give account of our lives. Each of us need to be fully convinced in our own mind and walk with integrity before God. I love the fact that there's different denominations. I would love it if there's a lot more working together for the gospel, but wouldn't it be boring if there was just one denomination? Like having one style of car. Why is there different types of car? Is the other cars hating the other cars? 
Why is there different shops? I'm glad there's different shops. So we've got different variety. You know, diversity is a rich thing within the church. Some people like to worship with a pipe organ and singing hymns from three centuries ago. Some churches want to have, you know, drums and guitars and, and modern worship and, and sing the latest songs, like more of what, what, like what we do here. But if you can worship God, if you prefer to worship God with a pipe organ, don't come to the rock. Go to a church that's that, more that style of worship. If that's the way that you worship God, praise the Lord. The most important thing is you're worshiping God. We're not, in a, we're not in opposition to each other. And this is what the world doesn't understand. They think we're all fighting with one another. And actually, the truth is, we all believe in the fundamentals of the faith. We all believe in the gospel. That's what makes us Christian. We've got different styles of worship, but that brings richness in our diversity. Amen? And again, we've got to communicate this to the world because they think, oh, you guys can't even sort yourself out. You can't, you know, you're all against each other. Where do you get that from? We have combined prayer meetings, we have combined church services, we have all sorts of things that happen where Christians get together uh, and, and worship together. Okay, next one. Christians are simpletons and anti-science. What do you reckon? I hear this a lot when I'm speaking to people about the gospel. People say, oh, no, no, I'm not into religion, I'm into science. They go, oh, really? Didn't know there was a clash. I'm into science. I love science. The more that you learn in science and the latest discoveries are all pointing to the existence of God. The more we know about how intricate the cell is and DNA and all this information that's in there, we're going, wow, this is amazingly designed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Science does not contradict the Christian faith. In fact, you cannot prove that God does not exist, but you can prove he does exist. Now, you might be going, hang on, that's not fair. You can't have it both ways. Well, actually, you can. You cannot prove that God is, isn't there unless you know everything there is to know about everything in the universe. You can't deny the possibility that he's there, but you haven't met him yet. Does that make sense? But if you have met him, then you can emphatically say, yes, God is real. So we can make that truth statement, but an atheist cannot say there is no God. It's like if I said to Karen, you know, um, there's no chocolate in this church. And she says, oh, no, there's some chocolate in this church, I know. And she's got a stash somewhere in her office, right? She can emphatically say, there, oh, don't tell anyone, I'll see you later. She can emphatically say to me, I know there is chocolate in this church. But I cannot emphatically say to Karen, there is not. That is a lie. There is no chocolate in this church. Unless I've gone through this entire building and searched every single bit, ripped every, you know, got a knife and gone through all the seats and checked that there's none and bashed all the walls, checked that no one put, why would someone put a bit of chocolate in before jib stopping? But anyway, someone could have. How remotely unlikely that is, there is a possibility that there's chocolate in that wall, right? You're getting excited now, some of you. (laughs) But it is a possibility. It's very, very, very unlikely. But... Unless I go into that wall and look for myself, I can't say emphatically that there's no chocolate. We can say that there is a God because we've met him. We can be emphatic about that, but an an atheist cannot say there is no God because to say that is to say, I know everything there is to know about everything in the universe and there is no God. No one can claim that. But a Christian can. And we can actually scientifically, using the cosmological argument, the design argument, the moral argument, we can go through a whole lot of scientific means and actually go, you know what? The best possible explanation is that an eternal being, incredibly powerful, created time, space, and matter, 
And that's the reason why we have everything here today. Because if I give you nothing for a trillion years, what are you going to have in a trillion years? Nothing. Nothing does not spawn into something. It never has, it never is. Well, it's scientifically impossible. The only explanation that really lines up with science is that there is a supreme being who created everything. You see what I'm saying? We actually have science on our side. It's not science versus Christianity. It's science and Christianity against bad science and people who just refuse to believe that God is there because they have a bias. Does that make sense? Okay, let's have a look at these. Uh, um, these are Wikipedia pages. Just go through a few of these. There's uh, Kepler and Isaac Newton and uh, Pascal. And there is page after page after page if you go onto Wikipedia and say Christian scientists. And a lot of these guys were the founding scientists. They invented science. They invented the scientific method. They invented, you know, the reason that they believed in science is they go, we believe in God and therefore God has created nature. Let's try and understand how God's done it. Let's try and understand the laws of nature. Why would there be any laws of nature if God does not exist? If we are random process of chance that evolved over millions of years, if we're just chemicals, right? Why would there be any laws of nature? Why would there be any structure? Why would the law of gravity stay the same today and, and not the same tomorrow? It could, technically, gravity could go up tomorrow, couldn't it? If there's no God who's laid these laws in place, why doesn't gravity change tomorrow? There's no reason to believe. And some people go, well, it's because it's always been that way. We've tested it and it's always been that Well, if you drive past 100 houses and they're all painted red, the likelihood is the next house is going to be painted red, right? But what if someone painted their house yellow? Just because past indications are not, not uh, um, proof of future profits, are they, Tony? Right? That's what's told with every financial investment. You can't trust the past to tell you what the future is going to hold. Yet with science, we do. We actually operate on a Christian worldview with science that says these are eternal principles because otherwise you can't trust anything. But the only way to have that worldview is to hold a Christian worldview. Interesting, isn't it? Look at this picture here. Anyone know who's in there? Adolf Hitler. Do you know who he's surrounded by? The best minds in Germany. The scientists... And the most intelligent people, he got around him and they created incredibly efficient ways to kill people and to do atrocities. Now, these are the most intelligent people in Germany. These are the scientists. So just because you're a scientist or you're intelligent doesn't mean that you're very moral or a good person. We've got this perception that the more intelligent you are, the better person you are. No, it doesn't make you any more moral. That's proof of that. Do you want to trust in science? I think we need to have a biblical worldview before we start with science. Otherwise, that's the result. Okay, next one. We're making good progress here. So fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is none who does good. I love that scripture from uh, Psalm 14. Okay, next one. We're up to eight. We're almost there. We are happy clappers and weirdos. Strange people. <laughs> that is a perception that some people have of Christians. Now, you know how I said at the beginning that sometimes they're justified? 
there's not a lot of that, that I can do about this. In fact, I think actually Terry and I are actually the only normal people in this church. And I've got my serious doubts about Terry. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I mean, what is weird for a weird person? What's normal for a weird person? Uh, we're, we're all different. We're a mixed basket <laughs> and sometimes basket cases, right? But <laughs> we're, no, we're not basket cases. But you know what I'm saying? We actually have, with Christianity, a logical, well-reasoned, consistent worldview that makes sense of the world and all the base questions of life. Who am I? Where did I come from? What is my purpose here? What happens after I die? The, the base questions that every person answers in life, the only worldview that, that's consistent with that is Christianity. We've got very well-reasoned reasons to do it. Now, if people think we're weirdos because we're worshipping this, this imaginary creature in the sky, as they like to say, right? They're the ones that haven't discovered God yet. There's not a lot we can do about that. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Sometimes we've just got to brush it off and say, well, you can think that if you like. But we're pretty enthusiastic about our faith because it's real. Okay, next one. The church just wants your money. So does everyone else. Good answer. But tell me who has ever joined a golf club and they never charged a membership? Anyone? Oh, do you have to pay membership of a golf club? Or any other you know, society that has expenses? In our, you know, membership in our, in our society, you know, in clubs or organisations. Everything has membership fees. Does the church have membership fees? Do you get sent a bill every year? The difference between the church and the world is that instead of charging you a membership fee, because someone's got to pay for these lights to turn on and the air conditioning and, and you know, everything else that, to run a church and pay the pastor's salary and everything. We want all this, right? It's got to be paid for. <laughs> but we don't charge anyone it's on a voluntary basis. It's done with a cheerful heart because we want to give. That's why, you know, you take up the plate. People see taking up the plate as, oh, the church just wants your money. Well, hang on a minute. You don't have to put anything in there. It's a donation basis. That's different to every other. You should, are you accusing the Rotary Club and the, and the golf club and every other club for, for charging fees? Are you saying, oh, the golf club just wants my money? No one ever says that. <laughs> No one says that. Why? Because they understand that there's, there's things that need to be paid for. The Christian, Christian church should be lauded as an organisation. Amazing. No, no membership fees, and yet they pay their bills. That's amazing. Again, it's a perception problem, and we've got to change this perception. And we say, you know what? We don't want your money. Come on to church. It's free. Let's change the perception. If you want to give, great. If you don't. You don't, right? Because we, yeah, anyway, we need to move on. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we give because we love to give because that's where our heart is. Okay, next one. Number 10, you think that you're right and everybody else is wrong. Yes, (laughs) that is true. But everybody thinks they're right and everybody else is wrong. The person who tells me you think you're right and everyone else is wrong, I'm going, are you right about that? You're thinking you're right about that statement and I'm wrong. If you think you're wrong and everyone else is right, there's something psychologically wrong with you. You cannot live a life of integrity thinking that you're wrong. If you think you're wrong, change. 
You know what I mean? Of course, everybody thinks they're right. I hate it in an argument and someone says, oh, you just think you're right. I go, yeah, and so do you. What's your point? <laughs> Let's argue on the merits of the argument, not on this manipulative, you just think you're right. Let's look at a scripture. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The thing about truth is it's exclusive of everything that's not true. If Christianity is right, then all the other religions are wrong. You can't have it both ways. I was in a um, Mind, Body, Spirit festival. We had a stall there a number of years ago, and uh, we had this poster contradict, and it was written with all the different religious symbols. You know, the, the half moon of Islam was the sea, and the T was the cross, you know, and it had different uh, you know, religious symbols. And under it says, everybody can't be right. Now, of course, in a place like that, Mind, Body, Spirit festival, where everyone goes, woo, 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 everyone's right, right? Uh, you know, very new age. We got some angry responses. People come in and go, that's not right. And you go, what do you mean? What's not right? Everyone is right. All the religions are, are right. And you go, really? Well, I think you're wrong on that. No, 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 you're wrong. I said, woo, woo, woo. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You just said everyone's right. Now, are you right about everyone being right and I'm wrong about everyone being right? Or are you right about me being wrong? Oh. You're confusing me. I said, well, you can't have it both ways. Either you're going to say I'm right when I say everyone can't be right, or you're right about everyone being right and I, therefore I'm wrong, which contradicts your very argument. It's just so illogical. The religions are so mutually exclusive. They're saying big, you know, completely opposite things about big things. Most religions say that you need to do good works to get into heaven. Christianity says, no, we can never do enough good works to pay for our sins. Jesus died for our sins. We're saved by grace, not of works. Right? Complete opposites. One's true and one's not. That's the reality of it. One is true and one is not. They can't both be true because they're saying opposite things. People say, oh, but truth's relative. You say, is that true? No, I mean absolute truth. Absolute truth. Oh, are you absolutely sure about that? <laughs> it's illogical, isn't it? Okay, let's go on to the next one. We're almost there. We're up to 11. We're okay. We're holding in here. Good. You look engaged. That's good. Okay, religion causes all the wars and problems in society. Who's heard this one? I've said, I wish I had a dollar for every time someone told me, religion causes all the wars in the world. Oh my goodness, nothing could be further from the truth. Let's have a look at the Word of God. What does it say? Matthew 5, 43 to 44, Jesus said, You have heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is what Jesus, the founder of Christianity says, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Next one. Uh, Luke 6, 31, do to others as you'd have them do to you. The golden rule of Christianity. I don't want someone to shoot me, so I'm not going to go out and shoot someone else, right? Now, does that mean that war... You, you can't defend your family or your nation in war. I mean, that's a whole lot. I mean, honestly, every single one of these could be a whole sermon in itself. I'm just giving you a real flyby today, right? But, you know, if you look at Augustine's just war theorem, the whole thing of loving your neighbour, if you're going to protect your neighbour from tyranny and attack, sometimes you have to use force. If someone came over to my house and started trying to rape my wife or, or kill my children, I wouldn't go, oh, I'm a pacifist. You just said to love everyone. I'm just going to stand there. You know what I mean? Like I would step in because I love my family. 
right? So this is a, not a clear-cut thing where, you know, you've got to be this or that or whatever, you know? There is some real biblical principles that we haven't got on time to go into today. But in general, the general principle is we are loving people. And except in exceptional circumstances, we don't go around shooting people or go to war because we are a religion of love, not of hate, right? Does that make sense? I want to talk to you about um, Philip and Axelrod's uh, History of the World. It's a three-volume encyclopedia. Now, this is extremely interesting stuff because when people talk to me, I love it when people bring this up because I absolutely smash their argument, All right, loving them, of course, at the process, um, speaking the truth in love. But it's complete ignorance, anyone who says that religions cause all the wars in the world. Philip and Axelrod, they chronicled 1,763 wars in the last 2,000 years. Now, these aren't Christians, as far as I'm aware. They're, they're just they're historians, right? Now, they, the statistics are in, the, in there, and if we look at it, 123 of these wars were religiously based. And now that is less than 7%. So over 93% of the wars in the world are caused when God's out of the picture, when there's no religion involved at all. In other words, materialism, naturalism, atheism. Mayo, 50 million people die. Hitler, you know, Stalin. These are atheists. These are, these are people who believe that we just evolved by chance and that we're just chemicals. And I can knock you off if, if I want to because you know what? You're just a, there's no difference between you and a slug because you're just a bunch of chemicals. We're just animals, right? The strongest survive, the weakest die out. Hitler thought he was doing the world a favour by wiping out the Jews. Oh, get rid of those terrible people. The world will be a better place. Well, there's nothing wrong with knocking off babies or the elderly or the handicapped or another race. If you think you know, that evolution is true and that we're just animals and that we've got... But if you believe in God, that we're all made in the image of God, then everyone has intrinsic value to God. We are loved by God. Therefore, we're not going to go around and killing people. It's the atheist. If anyone wants to make an accusation about who's causing the wars in the world, you should say it's the atheist that caused all the wars in the world. We should start the new rumour. <laughs> it actually wouldn't be true at all because it's only 93.02% of the wars in the world that are caused by atheists. <laughs> but it's complete blatant lie to blame it on religion. Now, of those religious wars, 66 of them are Islamic. So sometimes, you know, like Iraq, Iran, it's actually Islam against Islam right? But you take that out, which is over half of them, and you've got 3.23% for all other religions. Now, if you take Christianity, it's only a subset of that. Now, it might be 1% of the wars in the world. That's basically the Spanish Inquisition and the, the Crusades. There was only seven Crusades, by the way, and most, some of those, the Christians lost. Do you realise that? I mean, the last one, the Muslims won and took over Jerusalem. But whenever they say, well, what about the Crusades, people say? Well, what was happening during that time? For centuries, Islamic forces had been going over, taking over countries. Now, all of North Africa used to be Christian, and now it's all Islamic. Now, they didn't take over by evangelization. They didn't say, hey, you know, you know let me talk to you about the merits of, of Islam. They put a sword to your throat and said, convert or die, and that's your options. And it was a terrible thing that was happening. Now, Christians rose up, and the Crusaders start as a reaction to that, because they were going, we will not be taken over by Islam. Now, I'm not justifying everything that happened in the Crusades because there was some atrocities that happened. And we've got to put our hand up and go, yep, it's not just self-defense, right? I'm not trying to justify it. But what I am saying is that when you look at it in the true light of history, 
It is such a small percentage. And to make a claim that religion causes all the wars is absolute baloney. Make sense? Cool. All right. Last one. We're too pushy. We've got to stay out of politics and schools. Now, we get this a lot. There's, pro- there's people campaigning to get RE out of schools. People are saying, you know, you know state, uh, church and, and the state shouldn't mix, you know, separation of state and church. Um, that, that you shouldn't be pushing your Christian views in politics. Who's heard all these things? Well, Christian is point pushing their ideology, their worldview about, you know, that's based on Christianity. But isn't everybody pushing their ideology? If you're going to say, oh, no, no Christianity in politics, we guess, well, no atheism in politics. No, any other view. Basically don't have a point of view. Gee, that would be peaceful in the, in the, in the Parliament House, wouldn't it? Everybody's got a perspective. And why is your perspective better than a Christian perspective? Why can't a Christian have, have a perspective? I don't understand this, but we've got this thing that, ah, you can't talk because you're a Christian and we don't want religion in politics. And we don't want religion in schools. Well, we need to learn our history. Our schools, the reason we have schools is why? Because of Christians. They were founded to learn to read so we could learn to read the Word of God. Universities were theological colleges, most of them. They were founded by Christians. We're the advocates for religion, uh, for, for education. And now, ironically, Christianity has been pushed out of schools. It's craziness. Anyway, let's have a look at the scripture. Matthew 5, 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So I'm going to finish with that scripture because we need to be salt and light in this world. We can't stand back and just go, yep, let's just let the world crumble around us. We've got to change this perception of Christianity. And it starts with word of mouth is the best thing. You and I having conversations with people on a day-by-day basis when we meet. When we hear, I listen for things. And if someone makes a little comment, I say, what do you mean by that? And I start probing them, and then we have a conversation. I go, actually, that's the wrong perception of the church. This is actually the reality. And people, once their eyes are open, they're like, oh, okay. I had no idea. And if we're loving and we're gentle and we're, you know, in the way that we come across, don't come across bolty and want, try to win an argument. Don't win an argument to lose a person. Do you know what I mean? If we're loving and gentle in the way and we're changing people's perceptions, maybe they'll be a bit more open to hearing the gospel which, of course, you guys are all going to be on Zoom on Thursday night, aren't you, to, to learn how to use. <laughs> I hope you can make it there. I'm going to pray to finish. And um, sorry, I've got a little bit long today, but I didn't want to have a part three. <laughs> Father, thank you today for everything that we've learned. I pray that you would just help us to remember these things, help us to engage the conversation with others around us. We, our heart's desires would be able to share the gospel with people, but if Lord, if there's barriers stopping people from hearing that, I pray you'd help us to discern what they are and to be able to have a conversation and, and to break down some of those barriers. I thank you, Father, for your word. As each, each of these things we've looked at today, we've looked at what your word says about it. And I pray that you would uh, uh, help us to have a biblical worldview in everything that we do. Uh, Father, I pray for your blessing on every person here. Give us courage and boldness and gentleness and love as we interact with others around us in our community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today. And we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.